Hello, I'm Rabbi Iggy, and welcome to Tattoos and Torah. Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Tattoos and Torah. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rabbi Iggy from the Chuba Center. Uh, we have a guest today to talk about our, our theme of the week. Uh, I'm very, very, very happy to, uh, to have him on. Uh, we've been friends for a little while. Uh, Carl Dunn, right, uh, who is currently living in Berlin. Uh, we met in Los Angeles uh, a while ago. And uh, what's important, I think, to, to know and one of the fascinating things I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into is that Carl is a writer uh, and has really done a lot sort of in the sort of 360 of mm-hmm. writing uh, in, in, in his life, right? He's been a writer. Uh, he's been writing short stories since he was a kid. Uh, of course, because of L.A., he had to do some acting at some point. Um, but I think right, the majority of his uh, beautiful creative work is, in fact, in writing. He worked in advertising for a while, uh, was a full-time screenwriter uh, in Los Angeles. He wrote a book and has recently um, moved to Berlin. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, hi, Carl. Welcome. G'day, mate. Yeah, thank you very much. Nice to be here. Very nice to be here. Uh, yes, for those of you who can't detect the accent, Carl is not an American. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm an Australian. Guilty as charged, yes. So, so Carl, right, Tattoos and Torah, we try and sort of like look at things so that don't seemingly go with each other. But I also mm-hmm. usually try and bring a text, right, to sort of study together. Uh, and this one is from uh, uh, Maimonides, um, the uh, the ancient uh, Jewish philosopher, theologian, doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I want to sort of look at is a passage in in uh, the Guide to the Perplexed, uh, a book that he wrote. Stood that the desire will be awakened to fix the past as well, to resurrect the dead, to renew for them a life of splendor and strength according to that glorious and honorable era. Thoughts? Initial thoughts? I really love uh, actually the opening when nothing is wasted at all in existence. Um, Yeah, no action or ability or material and how much more so for spiritual thought and creativity. Yes. I mean, when I, when I hear that, it makes me think of how, um, you know, one of the things I've learned um, in my personal life journey um, is that, Nothing is ever wasted. Nothing is ever a waste. And more than that, everything is meant to happen exactly the way that it's meant to happen and often only makes sense when you look backwards where, oh, yes, that had to happen so that this had to happen so that this had to happen. And that, um, you know, often when we're in the middle of things, it's really hard to understand why these things are happening. But then it's all for something. You know, nothing is wasted. And, uh, yeah, I love that idea. I think that's really... um, it's really beautiful. Mm. Uh, I love that. I think, right, like, um, of course, you have the mind of an artist uh, in terms of, right, <laughs> sort of like everything, there's no waste, right, for a creator. No. Every no, scrap, none. every piece, uh, mm. right, not just will make sense in the end, but also you kind of collect everything to be able to sort of create. Yes. I, I always think about uh, the shadow boxes of Joseph Cornell, 
Mm. Um, and like he had these sort of uh, in his office, he has like a thousand drawers and right. Each drawer had like uh, found objects, right? He had mm. uh, right sort of like the, 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 the little bobs that he found from like a sewing machine or marbles or, you know, torn stamps yes. or like, right. Or like uh, ends of strings that look like, you know, whips, whatever it is. Yes. And I think in that sense, uh, an artist always collects, uh, mm. right. All these things. Um, mm -hmm. But what I, what I, what I thought about when I sort of picked this text to sort of to, to look at together mm. is our, uh, I think both for a writer and for an artist in general, the act of creativity to um, to resurrect, right? To mm. to make sense of, to to bring something yes. that we either need to sort of not just work through, but say a statement about something in my, in our journey, right? So like, mm. and I think here the dead can be more metaphorical, right? It's not just people, yes. mm. although it can be. And I think the force of creativity to almost alter the past. Yes, yes, it does that. It does, um, you know, creativity for me is, um, uh, yeah, definitely a way of making sense of the past. Like you say, nothing is wasted. And, and often the things that happen to us in our life that feel terrible, there were awful times that we went through, things that we wish we could completely forget about or almost have erased from our lives, they end up being our greatest teachers and often the things that help us connect the most with people. But I think the most beneficial part of that is when you're able to look at the past and understand now finally what it means. Uh, and in that sense, resurrect it because now it's no longer a, a burden or a punishment. It's now something that is, is wisdom, you know, and I think um, for me, I, actually, as a writer, I, I went on a writing camp, um, a writer's retreat uh, last year. It was a really wonderful experience because there were four writers and we were all from different disciplines. So, uh, which I think was great because, you know, uh, you don't want sort of two novelists comparing their novels and like who's got the better novel. But there was um, a, a, a playwright, a poet, a novelist, and then myself, a memoirist. So four different disciplines completely. And one of the writers I met there, she said this absolutely wonderful thing I love, which is writers write to reveal things to themselves. And it's exactly that action of you find yourself sometimes writing about something and then you have this epiphany. It's like, oh, that's what it meant. That's why this happened. And once you've made that connection, when you've resurrected it you know to take take from the passage you resurrect it into some form where now you're able to hand it on to other people and go this also happened to me and this is how i made sense of it this is actually what i finally realized it meant to me and i find that part is enormously helpful because our pain you know i have this theory about us as human beings that we definitely you know we bond through through joy and and uh triumph and of course but there's something about pain and um tragedy and and suffering that that really pulls people together like when you're almost survivors of the same shipwreck um and so i think in those instances i know my creativity has really allowed me to not just connect with people like that but actually help just be someone who turned up on their path at the right time with the right words to help them make sense of it, as so many people did for me along the way when I could not make sense of what I was in. 
so yeah, I think I think creativity is 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 a marvelous thing for that. A marvelous thing. Mm. Interesting. I mean, I, um, I mean, you, you of course are saying things that sort of we we've been talking about for a while, which is mm. uh, the human condition. That is sort of right. Yes. Sort of, uh, yes. Right. Sort of pain or suffering, uh, vulnerability connects us. Right. Mm. Our ability mm. to to connect is dependent on our ability to show where we suffer, where we have pain, where mm. we um, do not feel as boastful, right? The sort of that, yes. that people can relate to, right? Perfection mm. is boring. Is it ever? Is it ever? Yeah. And, uh, and, the other, and the other problem with perfection is, well, there's a few problems with it. One, we, we all seem to be chasing this perfect life that does not exist. I mean, perfection is not a destination. Um, uh, actually, a writer I, I, I really like, Mark Manson, who wrote um, the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. He had um, such Very a great wrapper. Hmm? Very subtle title. Very subtle title. Well, it does what it says on the box. I mean, right. <laughs> you have to hand it to him. <laughs> But he, he makes this fantastic point in it about how, who would want to be perfect? Why would you want to be perfect? If you're perfect, it's the end. You're done. It's over. To always be a work in progress, to always be understanding yourself even more, to always be understanding the world around you. Like that's, that's life. You know, that's the thing. Like perfection is like if you sort of arrived at perfection, it's this one long unending barbecue in a green field with unicorns and bunnies and, and all that, it's like, well, I guess we go to sleep now. I don't know. It's like this. So it seems like we, a great idea, but I think it'd be a bit dull. So why do we chase it? Like, why do we chase it so much? Um, I think it's because, I mean, I, speaking from my own experience, I mean, I chased a lot of dreams that I was convinced were going to make me happy. And I think we chase this idea of perfection and the achievement of dreams because of how we think that success will feel and what it will therefore mean to us, which will be, you know, some form of perfection or uh, attainment or enlightenment. And these things never are. They just never are. And yet we run to them. We run to this idea of perfection because we think, ah, then I won't feel the same way that I feel now. Whereas in actuality, um, sitting with those terrible emotions, writing those terrible emotions out. I mean, that is the, that is the, um, well, I guess, you know, actually even simpler, a way to say it is that we constantly look outside for this idea of perfection, that if we could just grab that from outside, we'll feel good inside. Whereas in actuality, inside is the only place that matters. It's the only place worth going to, you know, hiking your inner wilderness is the, is where you will find Perfection, if you can think of perfection as being the joy of uh, and, the, and the kindness you can have for yourself to be always imperfect. You are perfect because you're always imperfect. And that, for me, has become the definition of perfection. But it's a different definition to what I had before. It was all that job, that title, that amount of money, that jacket, that guy, that house, blah, 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 you know, all of that stuff to live a, you know, magazine life you know something out of wallpaper or something yeah hmm. how do you as a writer how do you approach uh i mean i wanted to ask before how do you approach that pain i guess sort of like more uh richer now so like how do you approach that 
quest, that pain, mm. um, when right, sort of both as a memoirist, right? So like writing about, mm. I guess, your own uh, experience, but also in an attempt for uh, the reader to to understand, right? How do you mm. approach that? Well, um, you know, the memoir was the very last, um, uh, well, the current stage of my writing career and a relatively new one. When I was writing, say, screenplays, I was writing um, even advertising in its, you know, in its um, essence is about connecting. And uh, screenwriting is about connecting. I used to be what I would call, I, I used to call myself a method writer, where right. I would look <laughs> at the character and think, all right, if I was that, like if I was her and I was in this situation and this had happened to me, based on the experiences that I've had in my life, how, if I drew on that, how, how do I think she would feel? What would she say? And what I find with that is that often when you're at your best, um, well, you know, it's not even about you. When the muse is channeling hard through you, things will pop up on the page where you go, wow, I didn't even know I knew that. Or maybe I didn't know that and I just funneled it. But um, I found some of the best stuff I've written has always been in this weird sort of unconscious, semi-conscious state um, of flow. And I'm often surprised when I read back and look at what I've written, I go, wow, that's that makes a lot of sense. And so I think that's how you you, you take things that have happened to you and you connect with people. Um, but again, I was always doing that through a, a lens of, well, I'm doing it through this character or I'm doing it through this brief in advertising or I'm doing it in this poem that I've written. But the hardest version of that I've done was was writing the memoir because it's just about you. It's about your life. And if it is to have any value, it must be brutally honest because people can smell when it's not. They know. Even if they don't know why they know or how they know, they know. And the brutal honesty that I had to write my memoir with was ironically, well, not ironically, not surprisingly, actually, is the thing that I think has connected the most with people. It's the thing I've written that that has most surprised and, and moved people. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's that. It's it's that thing of like, if you can grab it and honestly describe it and honestly describe how it feels for you, that is, that is how you connect, you know, because everybody sometimes, I mean, in, in, in your best moments, you give words to feelings that people didn't have before. They had a feeling or a, a, something that was going on in their life. And when you give words to it, they're like, that's it. That's the thing I've been feeling. That That is a, yeah, those days are the really, really good ones. They're the really good ones. Yeah. Do you think, is, is that the quote-unquote job of the of the writer, of the artist, to, to help people describe what they are either already feeling or not sure they're feeling? I think for my kind of writing, yes, definitely. Um, I think it is... When you help, I think, you know, if I would distill my life mission into two, <laughs> in two words is know yourself. It's literally, right. that's it. It's know yourself. And if you can do anything in any way to help people know themselves, um, you know, then that is, I mean, that's real beauty. 
Um, I'm very direct with it the way that I, I do it as a writer who's you know, written a, a memoir and or even movies and, and want to connect very consciously connect with people. But I think also, you know, painters, uh, anything that's abstract where you look at it and go, well, I, I don't um, I don't know what this is. I don't know how how to describe this, but I don't know how this feels. And even then, if it just prompts people to think about something in a different way, um, or then I think that, that it's also doing the same job. I mean, yeah, the thing with words is words connect so directly with people in how we express ourselves. Um, whereas painting is, is, is so free form, you know, a great theater piece will do the same thing. Uh, uh, even a fantastic TV show. I mean, my God, TV has got good, has got real yeah. good, you know, yeah. and I mean, really the, the, the best moving imagery being done now consistently being done now is, is on television. Um, so yeah, I think for all artists, that is the goal. If you can connect in a way that helps people look at their life through a certain lens or describe something they couldn't describe, that's, that's the job, you know, otherwise, for me, otherwise it's like, what are you doing actually? Right. You know, like really, what are you doing? Well, previously um, you were like selling things to people, so you know. Oh, well, you, oh, oh, <laughs> right, like oh, here, I'm going to put words so you can buy this. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and you know that's it's also been a very interesting um, journey, you know, where um, you know I was uh, very much selling the 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 dream, you know, I was selling the Kool Aid that I've been drinking, which is you know um, buy this and you will feel better, buy this and you will be you know that person you always dreamed of, and so these days. Um, you know, when I do freelance, I am very careful and very particular about what I work on and the brands that I work on, because the thing is we still have to buy stuff. Like we do need things. We don't necessarily need everything. Like I do need razors. I don't necessarily need a new jacket. So there are definitely like wants and needs. And I, I prefer being on the needs end, like the real stuff that you can't get by without. And I think COVID probably showed us how very, very, very little we needed. Um, but, you know, if it's a want, I like it to be a good want. I like it to be a worthy want. Um, yeah, which, you know, it, it, it does make it... Uh, although, look, honestly, a lot of companies are changing their tunes these days, the agencies and the companies. And I think they... What I, I'm really liking, and I saw starting with... with um, millennials and carried on by gen z even more more politically more overtly politically stridently is a demand that companies explain themselves who are you what do you stand for well if you stand for that how are you doing it and so it's actually a really interesting time to be working in in advertising because you can't dodge issues now yeah it's uh yeah it's actually kind of getting exciting again oddly yeah yeah, I mean, because we have mm. to be more honest, right? Sort of, or at least <laughs> seemingly more honest, which I think I'm yeah. afraid of sometimes because I think of like, what is the performance of honesty? Ah. Like, right? I think a lot of people sort of, yes, there's, we demand honesty, but I think, and I'm being cynical about this as, as I am in a lot mm. of things, but like, right? But I, I'm also seeing a lot more um, this performance of honesty. How does honesty look like? Mm. So I'm going to mm. add like this. Mm. It's a good call. It's a very good call. Yes. Tonight, honesty. The role of honesty will be played by. That's um, right. By yeah. Nike. Tonight's role of honesty will be played by McCann Erickson. Tonight's, right? right? Like, right? So, yeah. like, cancel culture. Oh, you said something really uh, racist? Like, goodbye. Yeah. You're fired, yeah. you know. 
Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, sort of everything that's happening these days with that, mm. um, I'm not a, I'm not a documentarist, but like I would be, if I was, I would be fascinated to see a documentary in like five years, all these people that have been fired, right. Sort of all mm. the Karens of the world, right. Sort of, yes. Uh, right. Yes. Sort of if somebody would follow them for the next five years, so we know they're fired, whatever, but like at what point, uh-huh. Right. At what point do they do they learn anything? Do they redeem mm. themselves? Do they resurrect their past? Right. Like what is mm. where is uh, where is change happening? Is change happening? Mm. Um, but because I, I think uh, as we're talking, right. So what the, the, the podcast is called, right, sort of uh, um, c- creativity, carmine consequence. Mm. Right. Um, because how do we see the consequence right how do we see the mm. next the next element and 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 in that sense sort of like one of the fascinating elements about writing and memoir writing and uh, book writing in general is how do we uh, create a sense of um, a narrative that has you know every every action has a consequence every idea mm. that germinates becomes something else mm. uh, in, in Judaism we believe there's a there's a part in the mission that says ask who is a wise person uh, and the answer is he who sees what will come out of his actions right mm. he who will see the, the forthcoming uh, the direct translation is he who sees the the born, the born mm. right um so right, so so in terms of the writing you said before, and I'm 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 curious when we write about things that happen to us, right? Um, and your life has been filled with adventures. Uh, <laughs> uh, One or two, yes. Right. So, is it painful? Like, is it painful as as a, as a writer to? constantly live in this space that you as you said have to be brutally honest or brutally open or right constantly going back day after day into that space where i made this choice or i made that choice or you know and i have to write about it i have to be open about it i have to sort of Mm. is it like constantly picking at a at a scab um hmm it's a good question um it is it is they are painful to visit and to write about because in order to write about them, you have to have come to some understanding of them. Otherwise it's a rant. Um, and then the other part that hurts. Oh, I like that by the way. Hold for a second. I like that. Sure. Right. But so if it's just revisiting, it's a rant, mm-hmm. but what makes it something is understanding, learning something from it. Definitely. Yes. Ah, interesting. I yes. like that. It's crucial. Um, And that is the harder thing because often to learn about something, you have to really look at your role in it and look at the role you played Mm. and what, you know, the responsibility you bear for these things. And um, that is, that's hard. That's hard because we do, um, you know, there's something about writing um, villains in screenplays Nobody actually thinks they're evil. No one does, you know, and so we all walk around um, thinking I'm a really good person. I would 
never knowingly do anything wrong. And yet we turn up as villains in everybody else's stories. I'm right. a villain. I, I can, I can, well, hopefully only on one hand, but I, I know I've definitely played some sort of villain role for um, a handful of people because we had a very different view on, on something and, and handled it in very different ways. And um, the nicest thing you could say is we were each other's antagonists. That's the nicest way of putting it. Um, <laughs> but that is the thing. That is the hardest part. The painful part is to own your part. But all of that, doing all of that, that all hurts, but it does not hurt nearly as much as having no reflection, no self-reflection on anything. To live a life that is, to live an unlearned life, an unexamined life is, that's the most painful thing of all. That's the stuff that keeps you up at night. Yeah. Hmm. And yet, and yet right, a lot of people do, right? A lot of people just oh. don't want to examine themselves, right? No, no. And, and again, cancel culture that you were talking about before, I think one of the main drivers of that is it's so much nicer to point a finger at someone else instead of pointing it at yourself, which is not to say that the actions of the person they're pointing at weren't bad, wrong, immoral, criminal. Um, but the finger comes out very quickly because we all know we have done bad, horrible, despicable things ourselves. And, and it's a, you know, I, I think something my grandmother used to say uh, is that, you know, for every finger you point at something, there's four pointing back at you. Right. Um, and yeah, that's hard to do. It's not something we're encouraged to do. I think we're encouraged to present our best selves all the time. We're encouraged to, you know, um, uh, speak Instagram to each other. Um, and yeah, it's hard to go back and admit culpability it's even harder than make amends for it. Um, right. You know, I've had in, in that journey I took, um, I, I took a leaf from, I, I think if you live in Los Angeles where we met, I think it is impossible to live there and not meet or have people in your friend group who are in um, AA. It is, it is, I never understood how big the organization was until I lived in Los Angeles. But, you know, they have a fourth and a fifth step. And the fourth step is to make a list of every, all of your wrongdoings and the people you've wronged in step five. I, I hope I'm getting this right. And step five is to then go make amends. L making the list is one thing, calling people up and apologizing or going to see them in person is something quite different. And what I found interesting was I would call people or if I could, you know, if I was in the same city, go and find them and go, listen, I really owe you an apology about blah, 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 blah. And they're like, what are you talking about? I don't. I don't, that was not a, that was not a thing for me. And then you realize, oh, maybe I made this whole thing up, but no, you think you did something wrong. It doesn't matter whether the other person agrees with you. You believe you did. So you have to make amends for that. And that's hard. That's really hard. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Just like uh, step, step four of AA is uh, to, to uh, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. <sighs> And step is. five is admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being that the exact nature of our wrongs, right? So the amends comes a little later, but mm. the first, the first, the four and five is, is a to make the list. Which, mm. by the way, so many people in recovery uh, um, uh, get tripped up on step four. A lot of people who do the step work mm. uh, get stuck on step four because it is so damn difficult. Because making a list of all the people, of all the situations yeah. that you 
uh, that you have to do it. Like, right, the, the step says make made a searching and fearless mole inventory. Fearless. Like, yeah. fearless, because it's so it's filled with so much fear. It's fear. It's filled with so much anxiety yeah. and pain. Right. Mm. Then then step five becomes uh, to admit it to yes. to to God and to another human being. But in that sense, a lot of people get stuck on four because it's too yeah. difficult. That's hard. I mean, right? it's, it's hard. very hard. It's very hard. Right. Yeah. Because we constantly, like you said, we don't want to see ourselves as the villain in the story. And part of what's there for is like list all the times you were the villain <laughs> in mm. everybody else's story, including yourself. Right. And. Who was that? <laughs> I got to right. you right now. You know? Exactly. Like, who wants that? Like, okay, let me spend hours and hours thinking about how shitty I behaved. Yeah. yeah. Like, yes, please. Uh, you know, and, and then especially now, I think in times of COVID, which sort of uh, we have so many people who are suffering uh, because of that and other mm. things. Like, I don't even get to escape, right? I don't even get to go to dinner with friends or go to the gym. Right? Like, like mm. I... I have to then sit with it. And it's so, it's so painful. Right. And, yeah. and that's why I asked you before. And I think right for writers, um, which is right, right, right away. It's like, I, there are a few skills or things in my life that I've always said, like, I wish I could have. Right. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, I'm fairly secure and happy with who I am. Right. <laughs> but, but there are things that I like, ah, if only I could X, Y, and Z. One is singing. Um, me too. Right, God. Right, God knows that. Like, I have the personality and the projection, right? But I can't carry a tune to save my life. Right? If I could sing, I would be bigger than Beyonce. I'm telling you. Right? 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 <laughs> be Queen I. Exact. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> for everybody's listening, he's like, "Oh, Rabbi Iggy's full of himself." Um, but, you know, uh, I say this in mostly jest. But the, the second one. Um, maybe even the first one is I can't write. I'm a terrible writer. I, yeah. I know. Uh, yes, I'm a great orator. I won't deny. I can speak. I can present. But when it comes down to putting it on paper, grammar means nothing to me. Uh, I see punctuation as ornaments to a sentence and not where they're supposed to be. I feel like they write. They're just right. So it's like jewels. Like you just put them where they look pretty. Right? Um, <laughs> And anybody who's ever edited my work knows this is to be true. Um, I feel that capitalization should be the choice of the writer, right? I think certain words should have capitals. I just feel like have always needs a, a capital H. Uh, also love. I feel love should always have a capital H. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll, you back you on, I'll you back you on love. I'll back you on that. Um, yeah. the, my, my point being is that it's so hard and why I'm fascinating with writers because it's so hard for me to really put down on paper in a real uh, creative way. I mean, I can, I can write an email, I can write a letter, right? So like, it's not, but, mm. but I think the, the, uh, um, the act of writing, the act of narrative, the act of um, presenting myself or others um in this narrative form is a very um, is a very arduous thing. It, mm. it, it, it's sort of you have to, uh, or at least for me, you have to really go into sort of this depth of soul to try and say something of meaning. Mm. Um, and and I find that to be uh, 
very, very difficult. And in that sense, right, it becomes a uh, almost like an exercise, right? You have to mm. constantly go back to it, you know, create the skill, weight, you know, sort of like lift more and more weight with it, mm. um, right? But it, but it is a very um, wrenching, uh, exhausting process, is it not? Uh, I don't know. I don't No, I do know. I, I actually don't, I don't find it that way. I find I am never happier than why I'm, when I am sitting in front of my computer on my own, writing something that I care about. It is my bliss. I love mm -hmm. it. And, and it's funny, you know, other people have said to me, I don't understand how you do this. I can't write. I am, you know, like the way, um, and to me, it's just so natural. It's so natural. I don't think, I don't even need to think about doing it. It's just, it's almost just, how will I do it this time? What, what, and I just always follow my instinct to, to me. It's literally like flipping a switch. I just go into writing mode and it comes and it evolves and it turns up on the page. And uh, I, I marvel at people who can sing and write songs. And to me, that is so, is not at all a natural way to express creativity or to express a story. And for them, it's like breathing. It's like, oh, that, yeah, no, no, I just get up every day and write songs. I'm like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. You know, and so I think when something's natural to you, it's in, it's invisible. It's like mm -hmm. oxygen, it's like breathing. And uh, I'm very grateful that I have uh, something like this because words are my, my greatest joy. I mean, they really are so wonderful. I think it's the, th I'm kind of surprised to be honest that I never learned to speak another language fluently. And I'm currently trying very hard with German. Right. I was about to say, like, in Berlin, you have to uh, go to the, uh, right, the mother of languages. German. She is she is a tough mistress. But I, um, again, though, I mean, and it's an interesting thing about um, perspective. You talk to any foreigner living here trying to learn German, um, and they'll, we'll all commiserate with each other about how hard it is. Um, if you, a lot of Germans apologize for their language. I mean, when you're trying to learn, like, Oh yeah, we know it's really difficult. And don't worry about the articles. Just, just say it like, we'll all understand, you know, like they really, you know, and then my newest German teacher, um, I've never heard somebody speak so rapturously about German. He's a young guy and he loves this language so much. And he's a polyglot. He speaks, I think four, and he's learning his fifth. Yeah, or I know. Don't you nothing. speak like seventeen or something? Yeah, yeah it's like I, I you're like a, a walking. You, yeah, you you're a walking. You know, fair amount. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you this joke in six languages. Um, it's funny. But, but you know, funny enough, like once somebody asked me, sort of, because I was writing something in English, and somebody yeah. said to me, "What the editor said to me, I, just to ask. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but." Um, does your grammar make sense in one of the other languages? Like, is it like, a, is it like, are you like importing it into English and that way does that make sense? Or is it like across the board? And I'm like, no, it's across the board. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I have, you know, my, uh, my best mate, this guy, Uli, is um, uh, German, lived in America for years. And what I get uh, jealous of sometimes, honestly, as a writer, I have writing jealousy. When I see things he's written, it's not just his personality, but because he has another language to draw on and bounce off, I, I presume, I don't pretend to know how his brain works, but he does things in English that I can't do because I would never even think to do them. Right. 
my, I do I, it all the time. Yeah. Ooh, right and jealousy. Right. Ooh. And sometimes they're more successful than others. Sometimes they're just idiotism, or, or as my staff said, the igiisms. They're like, I think I know what you mean, but it still is uh, both wrong and fascinating at the same time. Um, But I will say again, in uh, ancient of the Talmud, it says that the jealousy of scribes will increase wisdom. Ah. That when you are jealous of another scribe, you want to write better than them or more than them. And so true. Ah. But there's also, I think, another wonderful thing that happens with languages where um, when people don't speak it fluently, like let's say it's your, your mother tongue and, and they don't speak it fluently, but they definitely have enough to convey. And, and they have misheard a saying or they have transported something from their language into English and you go, wait, what? And it's nothing you would ever say in English, but those are English words. And when put together like that, it's like that's fantastic i like there's a french saying i there's one i adore which is she forgot to be dumb i love that it just it, like there's there's an encyclopedia of stories that come from that one statement it's like she forgot to be dumb i love it i've never heard that in english a french friend of mine sent it to, i'm like that's brilliant she goes don't you say that in english like no but I, I think we should start that um and another one i heard that i love is that um Someone thought to, the saying wasn't to be full of life. It was to be full of lights. So he described this young girl as, oh, she's so full of lights. I'm like, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that stuff. That is like, there's a, you know, Jack White, uh, who I'm a huge fan of. Uh, what I love about Jack White's music is he works from a point of, how can I put myself in the tiniest, tiniest, most constraining box ever and then make something out of it. And uh, I, I sometimes when I'm stuck on something I'm writing, I'll reduce it down to its most basic idea and then go back and write out of that and, or, and ban myself from using certain words. Okay, we're going to talk about this topic. We can't use these five words because they're the words that everybody uses all the time. Find some new way to do it. Um, and, yeah, I think sometimes when you – you know, the human brain, when it mishears something but comes up with an, a solution that actually seems like it would be the right thing and is, is more beautiful or more poetic, or when we force our brain to, like, can't go down that road, so you have to, like, create your own route B, then, yeah, that's where the magic happens. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think, right, we're back at hardship in that sense, right? So the the <clears throat> you can't use this or you can't have that or there's no abundance, right? So that you say, mm. like, okay, how do I... Uh, uh, that. Uh, in, in my attempts to become a better writer with the years, years ago, I took a creative writing class, right? Oh, nice, nice. Disaster. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, but it was a great class, actually. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being uh, a little cynical about it. But uh, we worked on this thing and blah, blah, and we were writing and writing, blah, and, and we came up with this, I find I think it was a little prose or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the teacher, she said to us, uh, uh, shout out to Dr. Ruhama Weiss. She said, um, uh, now read your favorite sentence or your favorite paragraph of this. And each of us sort of very proudly wrote, yeah, sort of like read out each thing. And then she says, okay, scratch it out. You can't use it. I don't want to hear it ever again. Now write it again in a different, in a different way. Ouch. Right. And to force us, she's like, if you like it, it's, I'm sorry, lose it. Say it again. Say it again in a different way. 
without yeah. using those words, right? Sort of like go back to scarcity, go back to that small box, go yeah. back to right, like you're you're now you're now attached to the sentence, and I need you to go back to pain, mm. right? To connect it in a different way, right? And I think right, sort of in that sense, again, we're we're back at creativity being sort of right, almost like a seed rather than a forest. Yes. In fact, actually, it's made me think back to a question you asked me earlier about the role of artists. And I think you're right. I mean, when, when we like there's what's that great uh, kill your darlings. Um, right. If you're in love with it, that's your ego talking. Right. And if you scratch that, I, like that writer's retreat that I went on, we had this really interesting exercise that we did where we had to write um, uh, fragments. So we gave them a fragment, um, the limp neck of a duck. And that has to be in one short story. Um, uh, a, a person standing at the end of the bed. And and you just had to write. And what I found was, um, I don't know if it was the point of the exercise, but something that happened in that exercise was I went back to childhood memories of where I was born and raised in, in Canada. My parents were Australian, but were living in Canada in the frontier for many years. And my brother and I were born there. And I went back to some childhood memories. And the way I wrote it was to just lay it out. I didn't, I, I think one of the problems as a writer and particularly coming from advertising and screenwriting, there is a temptation to write to entertain, which is not necessarily getting to the truth. It's right. getting to a point where the truth is about to become uncomfortable and then you laugh at it or distract with tinsel and shiny right. things. But when you just lay something out very, almost very plainly, it has even more power because coming back to the thing you said before, the role of artists, when you roll it up, when you say it plainly, it is. It becomes closer to the person reading or viewing because they then step in, and I think that is maybe the most important part. Now I think about it's not just the connection. Well, the connection is the part where the person steps in, and they now put themselves and their story into it, and now in their mind, whatever it is that you did becomes a, its very own thing in the mind of this person. Like no one experiences a book or a painting or a movie in exactly the same way. And in fact, our own experience of it changes over time as we've had more things happen to us. When we, when we re-engage with something we find very familiar and then discover, wow, actually, I look at this in a completely different way now. Um, yeah. Hmm. Right. I mean, yeah, I love that. I mean, in that sense, why right, connecting is creating that little moment, that shared experience of, you creating something for them to step in. And from that moment on, you are in their experience, right? You, the writer, the artist are in their experience, right? Yes, so some, so something are. of you is left in them. And, and in many ways, something of them is sort of uh, validating to you. That's right. Uh, it, it, that's it, really, that's really interesting. You know, I've never thought about it like that. I've always thought of, that's really interesting that a part of you lives on in them. I've never thought about it that way. I mean, when you say it, it, it seems obvious, but I don't know. I think maybe as an artist, we, we, we devalue our own work and experience. And so we think, oh, well, they, they liked it when they were reading it. Or they, they, they thought it was right. funny then. Um, but it's funny, you know, I have a, it, 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 a part of you lives in, in them with it. Like there was a blog I used to keep that is no longer up anymore. And I took it down several years ago. It was about my life in Los Angeles when I was a screenwriter. It was called LA Stories. And the reason I took it down actually is because when I reread it, I was 
uh, surprised at the man I was and the way I thought about things. And I wrote things in there that I look at and think, wow, that was really naive. And I reserved the right to get smarter. And I looked at it as like, this was a very interesting collection of, of thoughts and ideas and stories that were very relevant at one point, but it just, I'm a different man now. And I wouldn't want people to encounter that and think that's the man I was today. Sounds very damning. Sounds very damning. I know, but, um, it was of a time, I would say. Hmm. No, I, I understand. I, I, it's funny because I was about to say to what you said before is that I think what stops us from seeing that is our own judgmentalism or our own need to uh, to be liked again, right? Sort of like the sort of right of so that the creativity uh, yes, dies when yes. like, oh, but what if what if they don't really like it now or more or if they, right. So like, and then we're like, Oh no, I don't, I don't want that. Right. Sort of that sort of yeah. we, even, even us, right. But like even us as creatives, um, it's very hard for us to hard for us to just create and let go. Mm. Right. right? Uh, yes. right? Is the book any good if it's never read? Mm. Right. Um, I think that, that part, as you just said, and of course you have the right to sort of say whatever you wanted, whatever you want, but like, right. For, for us to sort of look at things that we've written or thing and be like, Ugh. but yet, right. Somehow we, we allow other people to have changed. Right. If mm. I read a blog that I see is from 2011, I don't know that I would assume that that is 2019, mm. but, but, I, but, but somehow when it comes to us, we kind of, again, I think sort of need to, uh, to use personal advertising, right? This is this is the yes. new branding, right? This yeah. is the new logo. Like time for a new for a new yes. header. And and I'll be honest, there was some fear in it as well for me, because I thought um uh you know there were things in there that I thought could be extrapolated to make it look like I was you know uh racist or sexist or these things. And, and, you know, the thing is when I look at it, I think, well, was I, maybe I was at this, at this, for the sake of making us like, Oh, it's such a good joke. Oh, it's such a good line. Right. Can I, I don't know, you know, and then you, you opt in anyway. And I think it's, ah, oh, this is interesting. I, I, I guess I, I definitely had some fear around it, you know, cause I reread things that I'd written and I was like, Ooh, Ooh, yeah. Carl, wow, man. <laughs> like really like please like me please like this thing right. that i'm writing <laughs> and i think i'm actually you know maybe my writing's evolved to a point now where it's um more honest to be honest the stuff that people people connected with the most was the 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 sad stuff the tragedies right. the the hardships of of right. of writing and dating and am i ever going to make it angst in right. in hollywood i mean people really related to that stuff right. because i happen to be in hollywood but they Everyone feels those right, same, same thing, right? Yeah, and it's funny because, right? Even again, again, even us, even you, is sort of like instead of saying like, uh, "Wow, Carl, look at where how far you've come," like, yeah. right? Wow, Carl, look how how you've evolved. You're like, "Wow, Carl," like, mm. ugh, like, oh, that was not, you know. And and by yeah. the way, I think we all are. I think if you're white and you're male and you live in America, I think you're partly racist. I just mm -hmm. think, unfortunately that's part of the culture and we have to yeah. double down on yes. our, not just not be racist, but to be anti-racist. Right. Um, mm. um, so, but slightly different topic, but in that sense, I, yes, I think, you know, yeah. we also have to allow ourselves to be like, look at where I've been. Um, mm. 
and yes, I think the, the Hollywood plight is everybody wants to be quote unquote discovered. Everybody yes. wants to make it right. Whether you're yeah. in Hollywood or Bangladesh, everybody wants to be recognized for, right. For things they've done or who they are or be loved or mm. I think that is again, universal, universal. Yes. And, um, and yeah. yeah, the, 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 the it, it very much hurts when you're invisible. Yeah. Yeah. That really, that's, that's a very lonely place, you know? Um, it's actually, that's one of the reasons why I wrote, um, the book. I mean, it's a real, the real reason why I wrote the book is, is, well, it, Hey, it's the first thing I've ever done in my life that was not in pursuit of money or fame, right. which I surprised myself about because I was like, no, no, no. I'm always, I'm always writing for the, you know, for the, for the, for the magic of cinema. I love this. And I was like, no, I don't I want to win an Oscar. I want to get up there. I've been rehearsing this Oscar speech for 25 years. <laughs> I'm ready. Give me my 60 seconds. I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to make Meryl Streep cry. Um, but it's um, no, to do something purely as an act of, I did not want any other gay man who was getting divorced to go through what I went through, which is a lot of stumbling around in the dark on your own. And I thought at least if they have this book with them, they know they've got a friend and that someone went through the same thing and got out the other side and is not only alive, but has become like the man they always wanted to be. You can survive it. Yeah. You can thrive in it. Um, getting back to what we were talking about before about holding on to emotions that really right. hurt and and I'm going to hold on to I'm going to keep making you coffee I'm going to keep talking to you on the sofa until I get okay with this mm. yeah so that was that was the first time so again it changed the writing style because it wasn't there to entertain it was there to connect in a way that I'd never written before so mm. right no I mean for definitely I think right sort of words have that magical way of letting us process like we said before right it, it allows so us to express right so so if i'm not going to be if i'm invisible i'm going to force you to see me through what i write right yes uh, which is yeah. which is interesting but, but by the way for people who who are who are listening right carl has a fascinating uh social media presence on instagram huh. kind of kind of like unlike others Right, yeah. uh, right. Yes. If you if you go onto uh, Carl's social media Instagram, it is just words. It is just a mm-hmm. sentence or two, um, you know, one wittier than the next. Um, mm, thank you. Right, and and it's interesting, right? Because you switched at some point from like a regular Instagram that we all sort yes. of have, right? Sort of the, yeah. our attempts to get sort of dopamine hits by, you know, thirst pictures. Um, and to, to just words. Yeah. And it's, um, thank you. I mean, it's, it's, it's been, uh, it started out as somebody sent me a tile that said, fuck nudes, send me your playlist. And I loved it. I I wish I had written it. I do wish I had written that, but that I posted it. And then I thought, well, dude, you're a writer. Why don't you write some? And I started writing a few of just things that were going on. It became almost like a diary and observation of things that were happening right. in the world at the time. I mean, I'm 500 of those things in now, and I thought I would run out at some point. And it just, of course, life keeps happening, so you never run out. And what I liked about it 
the, here's what I liked about it. I left social media for a long time. And then for my work, I had to re-engage. Um, and I loved being invisible. When you choose to be invisible, it's right. wonderful. And I could travel around the world and people didn't know where I was. They didn't know where I was checking in at. Nobody, my, my, my presence was not known automatically by everybody wherever I was in the world. I loved it. It was like a superpower. It was great. But when I decided to re-engage and I was thinking, well, how am I going to do it? I thought, oh, I'll do it with words. I want to be in the conversation, but I don't want to, I don't want to have my picture everywhere. Now that said, I have days where I put one up and I'm like, dude, that one, that's really good. Like big pat on the back. Like this is not that I care about the likes, but I will come back three times today to see how many people have. And, and, you know, I'll go through the feed and some friend of mine, you know, will like have like some shirtless pic or something. It's like 1,798 likes. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I get back to something I've written. It's like, oh, yeah, 57 It's not. I mean, it's only 11. And, <laughs> but 57 people is great. Yeah. And look, you know, like America's not awake yet. That's um, right. So, right. You know, it's just... I mean, it, there's, so of course there is the vanity still, but the best ones, again, of those tiles, the best ones are the ones where I am the most honest and they're the ones that get always the biggest reaction and, and the most interesting comments in the feeds. Um, you know, I wrote, well, I, was, I was, for some reason I was just scrolling through it today and um, I sometimes like to go back, it's like rereading a diary. Um, and I found one that was sometimes the hardest thing in the world is to realize how lucky I am. And, yeah. you know, you have those days where you're like, no, this happened. And I feel like, this, no, no, no. you know, and then you, <laughs> you suck yourself, you look around at your life and like, mate, so you, yeah, stop it. Just stop it. It's you're, you're doing, you are so lucky. You're right. so unbelievably lucky. Um, yeah. So it's, um, I don't know, sometimes I scroll back through it and I think it's almost like a, a game where it's like, well, the right one that I need to read today will find me. I kind of use it that way sometimes but um yeah so that's the instagram feed mm. yeah uh i i think as always here in you know um in what we do gratitude is by far one of the most important keys for any life of meaning right the mm. ability to stop and say like what do i have right mm. um it, it's funny right the the uh, I always, uh, I'm a big uh, supporter of like the the uh, counterpart to step four, right? Mm. The wreckage of our lives mm. is to make a list uh, either later on or once you have made amends or whatever and the people that you've uh, helped or influenced in your life, right? And I think one of the, one of the great, um, one of the great strength of both AA and that's in step four is that if you are able to really be honest and be fearless in that account mm -hmm. of all the wreckage and you look at the list and you're like, wow, little old me has made such a mess. Like, wow, like I really, I really fucked it up for so many people and for so many things. The flip side of it, the other side of that sword is that if I, little old me, can make so much wreckage, mm -hmm. imagine what little old me can do of good in the world. Imagine how much I can actually influence and do good and promote compassion and kindness and, mm. and right and gratitude. And I think that's, I think that's part of the lesson. I think it's very cleverly done. Mm. And I think that's part of the lesson to sort of, to understand that um, 
not only are you not invisible, but you are powerful. Mm. Right? Yes. Even if you don't yes. see it. Yes. Yeah. It's very true. It's, um, it makes me think that, you know, I, 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 you know, I often say about my advertising career, the thing I'm the proudest of is not the awards that I won, but the awards that the creatives who've worked for me have won and the careers that I've helped, um, make. And the, I think the highest compliment I'd, I've ever received was from uh, a young team who were, well, I say young, cause you know, you get to a certain age where everybody seems young. Right, right. Exactly. It's relative. <laughs> Everybody's young now. Like, <laughs> But um, really great team. I used to call them team reliable. I mean, you could literally put anything in front of them and they'd not only come back with brilliance, but it would be so strategically interesting and fascinating and true that you just never knew what you were going to get, but it was going to be great. I used to love them sitting in their reviews. Anyway, they, of course, because they're very talented, they were promoted and they went to other agencies and they finally were uh, creative directors. And they said, when they sat down and looked at each other and went, all right, we're going to be CDs now. Now, who do we want to be like? And they said, they looked at each other and went, well, Carl, mm. maybe we should call him. And they rang me up and like, they're like, yeah, we got this thing. And we're talking and they said, and we, got this and we went, Carl, so how did you figure out your style? And I'm like, well, first, let me get off the floor. Because um, <laughs> it was, be I mean, wow, what a compliment. I mean, absolutely. What a compliment. And it's like, wow, I guess I must have done something right. That's, yeah. that's good. But the... We don't hold on to that, right? We, hold, we go back immediately to, like, to the self-criticism. Yes, yes. What, like there's, um, there's a place here in Berlin, kind of really fascinating place, where uh, gay, bisexual, and trans men can come to work on their spirituality. It's a place that has nothing to do with sex. It is about working on all that spiritual work that we all missed um, you know, from, um, I think it's a kind of really odd, unique thing about us. I think for us and trans and disabled, we're not born in houses. Uh, we're not born to our own kind. Right. You know, um, if you're um, black, for instance, you grow up in a black house with black thought, probably, mm. I mean, probably not right. everyone, but most people, black houses, black thought, um, black music, black um, uh, issues. Yeah, like you're in your culture. You're born in your culture. Us, we have to go and find it later after spending years going, well, am I? Am I not? I think I might be. I don't want to be. Like, oh, my life's going to be. Until so it gets to a point where you can't deny it anymore. You go, all right, I'm just going to tell everybody and I don't care what the consequences are. Mm -hmm. I, I can't live with it. And there's a whole section of time there where we're, we're kind of fighting for our survival and, and, and willing something to die in ourselves and not figuring out what, where's the beauty in this? Where is the honesty in this? And, uh, Anyway, so this place does a lot of this work, which is great. And there was, um, I went to one night where there was a meditation we did and there was a thing called the hand meditation. And what it was, was to focus all of your energy that you would like, think about your friends who you love, your family who you love and what you would offer them and to channel all that energy down into your hand that you would just like, without doubt go, I mean, people were weeping, thinking about the power they had in their hand to help the people they love. And then they said, now, Take that hand and place it on yourself and give exactly the same energy to yourself. And I could not believe how hard it was. It's like, I would drop, I would do anything. I'll get cut and bleed if it helps a friend of mine. You know, like I, I kind of almost do it. Like I will inconvenience myself so much to help somebody sometimes. And, and cause I think that makes me a good person. I, I, I don't know, but I've definitely done slavishly or it's a validation or I'm not sure a performance of, of honesty or performance of care, perhaps. I mean, there's something genuine in it, but, right, anyway. right. but 
to um to then have to say now do this for yourself you have to actually think you're worth it right um and to think that you're worth it you have to actually know who you are and right. that's what i realized like why is there this gulf of rejection where i found my body almost shrinking back from my hand it felt so foreign but these days when i do the, the hand meditation i'm actually surprised by the virtuous loop right that happens it feels like i i, I equate it to like circular breathing that the trumpet players do or other wind instruments or didgeridoos or didgeridoos exactly yes good call all right um yeah and it's um it's a skill, though, and I would never have learned it unless I'd been forced in that, right. you know, that situation. No, there's no right. doubt that sort of, right? And I think Buddhism teaches us that um, in a very uh, poignant way that mm. uh, compassion may be seen as an act of altruism, but it is also an act of survival, right? When, when we practice compassion to the world, it teaches us how to, to practice compassion to ourselves. And when we com- practice compassion to ourselves it allows us to have more compassion to the world. That is right. Mm, I think yes. so many people have been through so much trauma and rejection and pain. That sort of that mm. this idea that I can sort of like put it to myself is, uh, is hard, but also I think, and we spoke a little bit about this before the responsibility, because now I know I can. So then if I don't, why don't I? It's, it's so true. I have periods where, I wake up and go, wait a minute. When did I last meditate? Right. Oh, yeah. It is. About- <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, th- I remember the moment where I was going to sit on the mat one day and I'm like, there was a moment of, yeah, you're not worth it today. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're probably right. right. Yeah. Okay. And then suddenly you fall out of the habit and you realize, wait, I've been having one of the worst weeks I've had in ages. Oh, yeah. Because I didn't go to the mat. I didn't sit. I didn't think about the joys in my life. I just thought, um, you know, some right. horrible version of myself that deserves every bad thing. And yeah, yeah it's interesting. We really do have to constantly remind ourselves. Right. Um, I mean, that's, yeah. that. mm. I mean, that's yeah. why I'm a big proponent of, um, and I've said about this in the podcast before with routine, that if you ask yourself, do I want to? Do I want to go to the gym? Do I feel like doing that? Do I feel like having a salad? Do I feel like meditating? Many times the answer is no. I don't want that. I'd rather watch TV. I'd rather have a burger. I'd rather, you know. Um, yes. But if you create a routine, then you take away that question from, um, from your life. And then everything becomes a lot better because you're not slave to your own emotions. And you're more on wills, right, to create a space for yourself. Um. Yeah, we have a few more. Oh, sorry. Go on. Well, actually, I was going to say that that writer who said writers write things to reveal them to ourselves. We were walking through Hamburg, and uh, we stopped at. Uh, there's a thing in Germany where when there's a red man, like a red light yeah. on the walk street, a red robot, just stand there. Yeah, red robot. People will just stand there. There's no cars. Can't see right. cars. Nothing. And they will just stand there. And I said to her, "I'm never sure what to do in this. I mean, this is like a German thing." And I, I don't know. It is a German thing. You know, the, the, the road's empty. And she said, I used to think the same way. She's from New Zealand. She said, I used to think the same way about that. She said, these days I look at it and think, well, you know, the anxiety about should I, shouldn't I, uh, is there a car around the corner I didn't see, da, da, da. like all that, that's just all taken away from me now. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore. I just stand here. Kind of like what you say with routine. Yeah. She's removed the angst of having to make choices all the time. That's right. That's right. And she just does the thing and she's happy with it. That's right. So I, hmm. 
makes that's sense. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. I've often spoke about uh, uh, decision fatigue. The, mm. Right, decision. So, right, this is a this is a, a true research thing, right? So that every morning we get a hundred percent of decision making power, and every decision we make, no matter what it is, whether which shirt to wear, do I have eggs for breakfast or toast or whatever, like, do I go? Do I stop at the red light? Um, takes away, chips away at the at the decision making power. So by mm. the end of the day, you know, those days what you've, especially, right, you've been advertising, the day, at the end of the day that you've made so many choices, creative choices, when, right, when your friend, whatever, roommate, partner says, hey, what do you want for dinner? And you're like, I don't care. I, I, I don't care. Whatever you put in front, like, I, I, I don't give a shit. Whatever it is, you've yep. exhausted your decision-making power. And that's, that's cute. But uh, one of the reasons why a lot of really big, successful people from Barack Obama to Bill Gates to... Uh, Steve Jobs to Karl Lagerfeld always wear the same thing, for example, mm-hmm. or have a routine. Uh, if you look at all the, the, the schedules, you'll see they wake up at the same time, they eat the same thing, they go to bed at the same time. Like it's all routinized is because they are preserving their decision-making power to the decisions that matter the most to them so that they don't waste it. Um, and, that way they can really sort of use it as much as possible. And in terms of recovery, which is part of the thing, one of the reasons why I like routine for everybody, not just creative, but people is that if you've made decisions your whole day and you've, you've, you've chipped away at most of your decision-making power and the end of evening comes and somebody offers you a glass of wine or your dealer calls you or friend says like, Hey, let's go, you know, let's go do meth together. If you used all your power, what possible chance do you have of saying no? Right. So the more the more you routinize your life, um, and I think that's why so many writers, by the way, have such a strict routine many times. Yeah. Right. Because they need to use all their decision, creative making power, to the only thing that really matters, which is for Mm -hmm. them or for a lot of people, the work. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the reasons that years ago, right, as as you know, I only wear black. Right. I only like I don't I I don't want to make these decisions. Mm. I don't want to, you know, I wake up every day at the same time. I try to go to bed every, like, it, I don't want to make these decisions because they, they, they exhaust me and I, I don't like them. Um, so, so it's, you know, uh, so yes, it's a very German thing, right? As you know, right. I grew up, my grandparents were German. So, mm. I out. so there's very things. Yeah. Like you stop at the red light, you, right. You have, you know, this food at this time, you, like it's very. This mustard with this roast. It, exactly, it's like no, I want this mustard. Like no, this mustard goes with this with this sausage. Like what? What are you doing? <laughs> what like, are you thinking? <laughs> like what are you thinking? Like what's wrong with you? Right? Like why? Yeah. Because because that's how it is. Like just stop. Yeah. <laughs> you and, right. So, <laughs> which of course, and I, anybody can imagine, right? Sort of how charming it is to grow up in a house like that when you are a creative gay man right and you're like well what about this and like no right um but i think that um to come back to the point i think that uh when we when we take away the decision or we make decision ahead of time um and and stick to it you you able to to really go through and uh uh, in mazes, right? In, in labyrinths, right? In mazes, like if the maze is built correctly, one of the amazing things about it is that there's a sure way to beat the maze, to get to the center or get out. There's a sure way. And that is to choose 
how to do go. So if you try here, I'll take a left here, right here, left, right, whatever, then you'll get lost. But if you say, I'm going to, every time I get to a junction, I'll go right or left, whatever. But you stick to it. Always right. Always right. Always right. It's not the most efficient. It's not the quickest. But it is the sure way to get out of the maze. Because if the maze is built correctly, if you stick to your guns, you'll mm. get out of the maze. You have to make decision and stick to it. I like that. Yeah. I like that. No, that makes a lot of sense. I know I've, I've often also been my happiest when I have a routine. Right. Um, yeah, COVID kind of blew my routine up. Right. And now that we're talking about it, I'm like, hmm, I might have to go and, well, I was going to say revisit it. I might have to have, have one again. I mean, yeah. again, I finished the book and the book was the great, uh, it was the, the sun around which the rest of the universe revolved. Um, right. And that actually, again, a, a, I think maybe a, a problem with being an artist is you can't make your work the center of the universe. It must be your health, your peace of mind, your well-being. That's a shift as well. Right. Like, uh, you know, to value yourself as not just, oh, I don't matter. It's the work I make. It's actually, no, you do matter so that you can make the work that you do. Um, That's right. Yeah, because I would offer, I would be aimless the minute I wasn't working. I just, I was like, well, now what? What do I do? I don't know what to do. So that's actually really interesting. You've made me think I must go back and, and get, you know, get those good habits at particular points of the day in an yeah. order happening right. again. Yeah, they're a bit sporadic right now, a bit shotgun. Mm. That's why in our spiritual, right, in terms of what we talk about in Judaism and part of the work I do is that we have constantly built in these moments. There's, right, we call them blessings, which sounds very religious, but they're not, right? right. But there's a blessing for when you go to the bathroom. There's a blessing when you have new fruit. There's a blessing when you see a spider web, when you see a, 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 a rainbow in the sky, when you put a piece of clothing, when you wear your shoes, when you, print, when you uh, open your eyes, before you go to bed, uh, yeah. after food, before food. So um, – Part of spiritual life, you know, is to create moments that are set in your day that makes you stop and check in and create a routine. And I think especially those days of COVID, as you said, we have to maintain a lot, even though it seems it's not matter. I think it's part of our own uh, spiritual thing. Mm. Uh, we have just a, a few more minutes, I guess. Um, uh, I don't know, kind of quick questions. Uh, What's the, do you have, or do you think, what's the best story ever written? Um, hmm. um, well, I, two answers for that. For me personally, um, uh, probably, now here's an irony. I love this book and I always get the title wrong. <laughs> Paul Coelho wrote a book. It's The Prophet. Uh, by, uh, uh, by Khalil Gibran? Or is, it, or is it The Alchemist? No. Khalil Gibran is The Prophet. The Alchemist is uh, Paolo Coelho. Him. Yes. Wow. What boy did I make a... Yeah. Really? You really like that book? That's amazing. It's a book I pull out and... Um... It's a good, by the way, I do the same thing. There's a book about memory that has a title that I can't remember. It's something walking with Einstein or moonwalking or a stroll in the moonlight with Einstein, what, but, it's, but I can never remember the name of the book and it's about memory and I always recommend it. I, there's ironies in that, yeah. There really is. You know, my favorite thing is something I can't remember, but that is actually my, I have the fondest memory of that book and every time I read it, I remember how it felt the last time I read it, but it feels a little different this time. I think that book is magic. I love that. 
And then um, I would also say, uh, I don't know if it's the greatest story ever told, but they often say in Hollywood that there's only one story that's ever been told, which, uh, which is things are not as they seem. I like that. It's the only story. That's right. I like that. That's exactly right. Yes. That's exactly right. Mm. Uh, parting words, Carl? Hmm. I read a really great um, quote uh, by Patti Smith, and I don't have it in front of me. I read it the other day, and I thought how wonderful it was. Um, so I will paraphrase it very badly. Um, but this, the gist of it was... Don't worry about being famous. Don't worry about making lots of money. The only thing you have to worry about is your name. Keep your name clean. Mm. Be your word. Yeah. Because eventually that name will be its own currency. Right. And that life is like a roller coaster and things will go great sometimes and sometimes they won't. But if you always have a good name, and I, I take that as also having a good name to yourself. I mean, yeah. really, it's, you know. I loved that. I thought that was just such a, and, and she's such the embodiment of that. You know, right. that she has lived a, an unapologetic life that is so true to who she is. Um, yeah. She's the, she's walking it. She's walking it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, actually I'm rather touched by it because that's exactly one of the things that my grandfather used to say. He says, you can't to the grave, you can't take your cars, you can't take your your clothes, you can't take your money, you can't even take your loved ones. The only thing you take with you is your name and reputation. That's the only thing that's left for you. So, uh, so true. You, have to, you have to make sure that you protect that your whole life. Mm. Um, and then lastly to that, I would say, right, that there's a, a very famous Hasidic story about a rabbi, Rabbi Zusha, who is afraid at the time of his death. And uh, when he's asked, are you afraid to be compared to Moses or Maimonides or whoever? And he's like, no. My fear is that when I meet God, he's going to ask, he's not going to ask me, why were you not like Carl? Why were you not like Moses? Why were you not like, you know, so-and-so? He says, he's going to ask you, why were you not like Zusha? Right? When I get to the to God, he's not going to ask Iggy, why weren't you like so-and-so? He will say, like, did you feel the Iggy potential? Mm. Right? Were, you mm. be, were, were you the most you? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Carl, if people want to find you, where can they find you? On Instagram? They can find me on Instagram and I'm at Carl Dunn on there, which is K-A-R-L-D-U-N-N. Um, and then also I have a uh, website for my book. Uh, the name of the book is My Gay Divorce. And so you can find that at mygaydivorcebook.com. Um, and yeah, I've actually started, uh, just, just started, uh, my gay divorce, um, Facebook page where I'm hoping it becomes a, uh, uh, central point where honestly, anyone's invited, anyone's invited. I found some answers during my divorce in some very strange places, uh, that I never thought I would be going. So who knows? I mean, it's, I, I'm starting it for gay men, but it is for really anyone who's going through it. Mm. Cool. Thank you so much for, for joining us. This was fascinating. Thank, Thank you, you. Thank you, everybody. Uh, we are Tattoos and Torah out of the Chuva Center. And uh, you can find us at Chuva Center on Instagram. Uh, you can listen to the uh, other podcast um, episodes, of course, on Apple or Spotify or Anchor or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm uh, Rabbi Iggy, uh, not your rabbi on Instagram 
or Igael GM on Twitter. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I uh, hope you have a very good weekend.